I'm Josh Cooperman, and this is Convo by Design. The podcast is celebrating nine years serving the design and architecture community. Today on the show, Bill and Phyllis Taylor of the firm Taylor & Taylor are here with a conversation about sun-soaked architecture in Miami and that classic Florida style. <laughs> I love talking architecture and design, but those are really two different conversations. Design is the story of design, and architecture is the language. More specifically, the language and dialect. Florida has a style, and the tailors know it well, speak it fluently, and they are here to share it with you. I think every geographic location should have its own distinct dialect. Why? Because, as in any dialect of a particular language, a regional or geographic style speaks to the nuances of that particular location. It also speaks best design and build practices as it relates to local weather conditions, traffic, noise, lifestyle, and other elements that are hyper-local. South Florida is very different from the Panhandle as the Western Coast is different from the Eastern Coast and the Keys. This is exactly why I do so love conversations like the one you're about to hear with Bill and Phyllis Taylor. This is another installment of the Wellness and Design Thought Leadership Series presented by Thermosol, an amazing partner in design. For well over a year now, you have been hearing incredible conversations, interviews, and panels with amazing creative talent as part of our Wellness and Design Thought Leadership Series presented by Thermosol. It has been and continues to be an absolute joy working with the entire team at Thermosol from the top down. This multi-generational family business has been producing the gold standard in steam generators, saunas, steam showers, and steam shower accessories for decades. Thermosol is the original steam shower with technology that is state-of-the-art, made and manufactured in the United States. The company's history with steam showers started by David Altman in 1958. Murray Altman acquired Thermosol's steam bath division in 1989, and the company is now led by Mitch Altman from their world-class production facility in Round Rock, Texas. The most successful designers and architects are using steam showers to maximize wellness, relaxation, and enjoyment for their clients. Thermosol is a staunch advocate for the design trade, and I am so proud to have them as a presenting partner of Convo by Design and the Wellness and Design Thought Leadership Series. If not familiar with the entire range of Thermosol products, please check out thermosol.com. One of the things that I love to do is when I go to a new city to visit or to work, the first thing I do, I don't know if you do the same thing, but the first thing I do is go check out the local design, the local architecture, the local resources, see if I can talk to who the designers are. Are, are you that way too? Well, I may first check out the restaurants and then, uh, hmm. and then move on to the, but I mean, architecture and design is so much just a part of us. We're, we're uh, you know, always on the lookout for, you know, something, something of interest. So that never... We don't turn it on or turn it off. It's just always recording uh, what we see in the various places that uh, that we visit, for sure, absolutely. I mean, I think when we travel, we like to be surprised by, by some something we might see. And then other times we take trips specifically to see a particular architectural, um, you know, building or uh, area. We made a very special trip 
um, well, maybe three, four years ago, I had never seen falling water. And it was absolutely on my bucket list. I felt remiss in not having seen it, but it's in a very you know, remote part of Pennsylvania. It took a special, you know, a special reason to you know, get out there and take a look at it. And it was um, uh, when, we, when we walked up to the, the, the first, uh, the primary room, we were both <laughs> simultaneously brought to tears because it's just so iconic and so much a part of our, our education and our appreciation, our understanding of, of architecture and uh, its place in history that you know it was real it wasn't just a photograph and there we were there we were standing in it it was well i don't I think for me though it wasn't about the history it was that i was actually shocked that i had this reaction that i was just really overwhelmed and i think it was because every once in a while you are in a space where it's more than a man can do more than like there's an inspiration beyond beyond what a man can do and it was really that the one of the few times that I've been in such a small, uh, you know, space that was so chock full of that kind of feeling that this is beyond a man, what a man can do. It was the sight, the sound, it was the whole experience. So um, that, that, that sticks in my mind. And uh, the other thing that sticks in my mind about that visit was the week before we got there, they had somehow uncovered the original Wright's original benchmark, like the thing that he cut in the stone on which he based measurements for the, the creation of it. It had been lost to history. And there it was like revealed to us. And uh, you know, the, the very first thing that, uh, you know, that, uh, that resulted in this, you know, this masterpiece of, of architecture. And, and we did like Palladian villas. We got private tours of the Palladian villas when we were in Venice with our children when they were quite young. Um, and people, you know, live in them, and, but they open up their homes every once in a while to architects and, and designers who have a special interest in, in seeing that. And it's, it's really uh, wonderful to see these, uh, you know, old villas where modern people are living and enjoying them and they still work. Let me back up a second. While you were in Pennsylvania, did, did you also go and see his Usonian homes? I believe there, there are some dappled across Pennsylvania and there's one city, it's, I'm, I'm forgetting it at the moment, but where there are three or four Usonian homes within, within one community. We did, did you not, have to, no? but there was uh, really a mile or two from Falling Water is a house by the name of Rocky Knob, I might not have that exactly right, something knob. And um, that's it. I forget yeah. the details now, but it's owned by a collector of writing furniture and it's been restored and um, it had been recently opened. And that was just uh, an, another and extraordinary thing to see, you know, uh, uh, <laughs> in its absolute full glory. Um, and I don't know if this is a topic that you want to pursue, but I just because it's so fresh to me, I'd like to mention that, uh, you know, a house museum that we visited, you know, 10 years ago or so, so in Paris by the name of the uh, Commando, the Museum Commando. Do, do you know it? Mm -mm. Few people 
Well, it's a museum, so Parisians know it. I, I don't know if very many people know it outside of Paris. And um, I had never heard of it. You know, I was, Phyllis was actually, I think, no, 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 you weren't. That was another, there was another house museum. You were sick for the day and I found it on my own. But this Commodore Museum was built in, say, 1910 by one of the wealthiest, uh, uh, wealthiest um, Turkish, uh, Turkish bankers. And he was a Francophile and he happened to live in Paris in this era that um, decorative arts of the 18th century were not particularly appreciated. And he collected and collected and collected and collected, you know, the carpets and then built this house to house uh, his collections. He collected a lot of um, discards from Viscaya. No, interesting. I mean, from Versailles. From Versailles. Versailles. Yeah, interesting <laughs> idea. The carpets, the carpets are royal provenance. The, you know, the, some of the furniture belonged to Pompadour and, you know, on and on and on. And back in that era, the, you know, the modern, the modernist movement was picking up and these things weren't appreciated. But he, he, he appreciated the French culture and, and collected them and then built this magnificent mansion, an extraordinary mansion on, uh, on the Parc Monceau to display them. Um, and we went to see it and, you know, it was, it was really, it was just extraordinary. And, and it's orig absolutely original, completely furnished condition. And I'll, I'll make this story as short as possible. There's a, a book that's recently been published about it by a family member and about the story that goes behind that. I'm on kind of burst into tears even, you know, thinking about it because Phyllis and I discovered it ourselves in the backstory to the house. And the backstory to the house is that it was, um, you know, it was, given, it was given to the state of France, like in 35 or so. Uh, the family, uh, some of the family died, but the family was still in Paris. And, you know, as we were going around, we saw photographs of the family and it was odd, no matter how old you were, everyone, all the family died in 1942. And that made us wonder, well, gee, what's the, what's going on here? You know, as rich as they were, as powerful as they were, as much as they had given to the, the French state and contributed to the French state, they were all shipped off to Auschwitz and killed. And um, the book, uh, the, the book that I just read is, there's another incredibly, the most beautiful house that exists in all of the world, in my opinion is the Villa Carilos on the south of France. Do you know that house? Mm -mm. It's no. It's been widely, widely published. And you will, if you, uh, when you, when you do take a look at it, you will recognize it. It's, it's so incredibly famous again in the, you know, in, in just in our consciousness as we've seen it in ads and we've seen it here and we've seen it there. Well, that was the daughter, that was Commando's daughter whose family built that house. Mm -hmm. And they also, one night, uh, one night, the French police showed up and marched them off to, from that house, from that yeah. house. It's, it's, it's amazing. Um, it, it's amazing. You know, I, I was having a conversation earlier in the week with someone and we were talking about sort of, you know, you think about life in the U.S. And when you talk to somebody, it's, it's, almost, it's almost laughable to talk about old in the U.S., you know, it's it's almost talk, hard to hard to talk about. You know, the conversations between vintage and, and antiques, I think, is where we started. 
And it, how, do, okay, so you have things that are over a hundred years old for sure, but in architecture, a hundred years, you're kind of just, that's still relatively new, you know, that's, that's not old. And, and so you talk about, you know, all of the architecture in, in France and, and broader in Europe and outside of the US. I, you know, I started, I started this podcast eight years ago because this is my second career. You know, I was in broadcast and I've always loved architecture and design. So I had an opportunity to, to go do this and do something that I absolutely love. And I found myself, uh, when I first started, really kind of dabbling in European architecture. And then I got into Bauhaus and it took me right back to the, to, to the States. And I've pretty much, I pretty much stayed here when it comes to design and architecture. And I think it's because for reasons I want to get into with you, there is such a vast wealth of talent and in specifically in design and architecture and the things that have, that have come to my attention. And I realized something, I would love to go to France and, and Germany and Asia to look at architecture. I've been to Spain and loved Barcelona, but I always come back to the States because I feel like there's so much here that I haven't seen yet. And it's really interesting to me when I talk to, I actually wanted to back up with you because as a, as a, as partners in business and a married couple as well, it's fascinating. And you don't, you don't see that very often in a, in a creative partnership. And so I wanted to start at the beginning, if you would indulge me and sort of like, you know, you've been to you, the firm you started in what, 1983? 83. Yes. I believe. So you've been doing this together for, for quite some time. How did, how did you start the firm? Why did you start the firm? And then sort of how has the firm adapted and changed over, over the years and decades? Well, I think we're, we're, you know, we're in Florida, we're in Miami, we're in all we, we're in kind of the, the boom and thin time uh, capital of the world. And so I think really um, we were, we met in school, you know, in architecture school. Um, I became an interior designer and Taylor went on to get his master's in architecture. And so when we graduated, we already had the two different disciplines and we obviously were, were working for different employers. And I think in Miami, never knowing your destiny, not knowing if you're going to have a job in a week and everything is, you know, is rushed because you have to get it out. And then all of a sudden the economy takes a, a little bit of a, a U-turn and you're out of a job. And so we decided that if this is going to be where we're at, the ups and downs, uh, we want to be the first to know, not the last to know. And because we're very connected to what we do, we're very passionate about what we do and we wanted to find a way to keep doing it and not to be sort of just um, at, the, at the whim of, an, of, of other architects and designers as to where they found a place for us. So it was really to make our own, our own place. And we really didn't have family here that had roots or anything. We just kind of came here and said, okay, we can do this. And I think in the naivety, of, of nothing, we had no fear because we just didn't have any knowledge of how difficult it should have been. 
that we just kind of feel like we just did the impossible. No, he never, never, never had a house that he built on his own, but yet we were going to build your house. You know, we're going to design it for you. So um, I think it, it was really, I think just that we were of that spirit. And actually it's kind of funny because both of our employers had said that they knew that we would be the first to go out on our own. I don't know why how do you, we, we didn't. Yeah, why, I, why, do you, why do you think that, why do you think that was? I don't know. Do you have any? I, uh, we, we I've always, I've always sort of, I didn't have the presence of mind to ask. Yeah, they, they, we were very friendly with uh, these individuals and remain so after That's we were awesome. out of their employ. And I don't know. I never got back to it. But and and this particular gentleman has passed away now. But I would have loved to have asked him what exactly what did you what so that idea? <laughs> you mentioned um, sort of the ebb and flow in South Florida, specifically in Miami. And it's really interesting because being a native Angelino and growing up in California, growing up in LA, you know, growing up in the San Fernando Valley in the 1980s, I, and being a fan of design and architecture, I understand sort of how that, how that works. And it's, it's wonderful in the sense that creatives get to, get to have a place where you can experiment and you can try new things. And it's frustrating in a sense because there's only, what do they say with real estate? They're not making any more land. So there's a choice, right? You either find the right opportunity for an infill project or something has to go. And in, in Southern California and Los Angeles in particular, so much has gone and so much continues to go. And that's one of the things that I find really interesting. And I'm curious your take on how that has affected the the landscape in Miami. Wow, that's that's a really good question yeah, because a... you know we we never really I think as as Florida I think it always had an architectural inferiority complex and um, it never really um, was comfortable in its own roots, which is probably a bungalow type keys. Um, uh, a style, you know, home and architecture. And I think it was more generic and it wasn't, it, it wasn't highfalutin. It wasn't really considered anything. And so whenever the developers wanted to sell something, they copied something that California was doing. Um, later on, it was what Dallas was doing. I mean, homes, entire developments here in Miami were built as California style. Right. So that was, that was what people, then aspired to. And that was aspirational. That's what, that's, yeah, absolutely. Nothing, why not Nothing to do with Florida. <laughs> but the thing is, it, it, it always, um, it always puzzled us as to why people would import stone that looked terrible in our sunlight and everything else. And we had Keystone. No one else has it. No one else in the country has that. You have to go to, to South America. Or, and it's beautiful. And it's, it's unique. So beautiful. It's not like anything else. And now it's extremely hard to, to procure. So, but it, it is, you know, Meisner, Meisner knew about it when he was building Palm Beach. Every one of his houses is trimmed out in it. But it became sort of old-fashioned. Of course, it took some, took some time. And now it's, now it's been redis rediscovered. Um, but I, I think that that's, that that's what happened with, with Florida in general, and I think especially with Miami. 
And I don't think it was really until maybe Art Basel started to come around that there started to be sort of a respect and that designers started to have the confidence wow. to, to start to, you know. It went before that. It was Miami Vice, really. Miami Vice. Put uh, my, the Miami style, the South Florida style, uh, you know, on the map. I mean, that's really what I think what started it all. That started the resurgence of, uh, of South Beach or where it had already started, but that really kicked it, kicked the ball well down the road. You are listening to my conversation with a dynamic duo, Bill and Phyllis Taylor. We will return right after this from York Wall Coverings, a new favorite of mine and a partner in our 2022 remote design house, Tulsa. So listen, wallpaper's having a moment, a well-deserved moment that is allowing designers to craft and create in new and amazing ways. Convo by Design has a new partner this year. This partnership includes participation in our remote design house Tulsa project, of which you will be hearing a lot about this year. I've been working closely with an exclusive group of partners, and I am absolutely thrilled to be working with York Wall Coverings. This company has been crafting exquisite wall coverings for over a century, with an archive that dates back to the early 18th century. This deeply rich history provides inspiration for the future, and the designs available through the York Wall Covering Studio have long been lauded for their authenticity and craftsmanship. This art, artistry, and history combined with a commitment to continually reimagining the manufacturing process allows York Wall Coverings to provide a consistently exquisite product. For options and inspiration, find them online, yorkwallcoverings.com. You can also find their store locator tool online at yorkwallcoverings.com for a location near you. Thank you, York Wall Coverings. Now, back to my conversation with the Taylors, part of the Wellness and Design Thought Leadership Series presented by Thermosol. Well, it's funny because if you, if you, if you look at Miami, you can, you can draw a, a similar story between something like Palm Springs. So I don't know, you know, if you're very familiar with Palm Springs or not, but every year, you know, you go down to Modernism Week and you can see all of that atomic age, mid-century modern in, in all of its glory, all the different styles. You know, there are certain things that they do where just, you know, celebrating the doors, you know, just t- going on a walking tour to see all the doors and the arches and see how they put it together in the 50s and 60s. What's really interesting to me, and I understand that inferiority complex idea um, and it took so long for people to come in and, and finally discover the, this amazing, and it's not just the Art Deco. I think, I think what Miami Vice did, you bring up Miami Vice, I think what that did is it showcased this, this lifestyle that was similar to California where the inside out was really what people were, were after. But then they showed not just the lifestyle, but also this, this vintage you know, Art Deco and it was, it's beautiful and it's wonderful, but then people would go and they say, oh, but wait, there's more, there's this tropical, there's this keys. What, what is the Florida style? Is there, is there a, a, a definitive Florida style? Well, I don't think there's a definitive Florida style. Like Phyllis was saying, you know, every style has been explored and imported um, the Mediterranean ones, Venetian ones, but um, what is particularly close to my heart is what we call uh, Florida vernacular style. 
And that's a simple, uh, simple clapboard cottage style with tin roofs. And I'm fifth generation Floridian. And that's sort of the homes that uh, my grandparents and great grandparents lived in. And those are things that I was exposed to. And I know, I know well, but few people really do because very little of that original design or architecture, you know, exists outside of Key West or, you know, the homes that I knew were in Hillsborough County in Sarasota, Sarasota, Florida. None of those, none of those exist, you know, uh, to this day. So to me, that's, uh, you know, that's what true Florida, historic Florida design is about. And it had, I felt it really had a resurgence, uh, you know, 20 years ago. And we rode, the, we rode the crest of that wave. We were doing work in Key West. We have some of our favorite houses uh, are, uh, have been executed sort of in our own house, uh, also executed in, in, in that style. But it's, it's, again, we're going through a phase where that's not appreciated any longer. There's, uh, uh, and to me, what's really funny about what's going on now is it's a resurgence of, of the modernist style. You know, I was trained, I went to school, everything in, in my day was Bauhausian and modernism. And I did a... I'm going where I sort of wanted to back up to when I uh, when I got out from school when I, when we went out on our own, you know we had clients come to us and say they wanted a Bermuda style house. Uh, in my wildest dreams, when I was in school, that's I wouldn't have done a Bermuda style house, you know. But we or were French, a chateau style or, French, or any other style, right? We, we just that's a pure not, style. not anything we would have done. We were so. Like, uh, we uh. were so trained, Bauhausian and trained that, you know, it was wrong to even have a, uh, you know, a laminate that imitated wood. That was it had to that be was, a color. That was an oh, that was an absolute. Uh, I don't know what the worst thing is that you could do, but the worst thing was to use something like that. Of course, now, you know, tie everything is and looks. It, it looks so good. It's better than but if anybody had told me I would be doing that, I wouldn't. But I, we were, I was young and hungry, and, and um, that's what the market was asking of me to do. But what I, what I did, the way I changed it up, I think, is uh, because I care, about, I care about history and I care about architecture, I did it the- And appropriateness. Appropriateness. I did it the most appropriate way that I could. I did it the most authentic way that uh, that I could, and I researched it, and I studied it, and you know the Bermuda House. Uh, our client was kind enough to uh, they had honey. The clients had honeymooned in Bermuda, and they had they had wanted uh, they had wanted to replicate that. They were kind enough to send us to Bermuda to you know to experience to it. really experience it, and we did, and we came back and designed a you know designed really a, uh, our first really great important you know, important house. Florida house. Florida house. Which, which was that? Uh, actually, that's in, our, that's in our book. That's the Crane House in, uh, mm -hmm. in, in Orlando. And, um, and, uh, and, you know, from there, I think we became recognized for, you know, uh, uh, authentically, authentically styled, but modern, uh, modern living homes. 
And um, the layouts and, were more modern and the spaces, I think the way the house lived was appropriate for, for our time. And also it adapted to the appropriateness of it being in Florida and used materials that were, um, you know, indigenous to our area. Uh, or at least replicated or look like ones that were. So um, I think it, it's a matter of making everyone kind of feel at home, that the house itself has to feel at home on the site and the people within it have to feel at home within the interior architecture. And I think that we can tropatize or felt like anybody can come to us with anything and we can make it appropriate for Florida. I think that's rather than um, trying to come up with just a style that's appropriate for Florida, which kind of is where we're at now, is taking the modern white box and trying to figure out how do you get the memory of what people, what, what, what makes them feel at home. And I think that that's, there, a, lot of our, a lot of our houses now, I think are very so cold and so cookie cutter. Not our, but I mean the houses in, in mm -hmm. Miami right now. Mm -hmm. And I think they're almost like realtor specials. You know, you have to just check the boxes that you have to have the infinity edge pool. And even if there's nothing for the infinity to go into, um, it, it's, it's gotten to, to, to really um, be, I think, sort of a, a sad situation for, for a lot of creative people because we don't know where to go. Well, it's, it's formulaic. And I think, um, you know, what's, what, and the reason I ask about this Florida style is because, you know, growing up around Southern California architecture, California has a style. It's not that it has, you know, there was Mediterranean and there was modern and there was, you know, there is, a, there is a, a, you know, an art deco feel in certain parts. There are Victorians. There's, I mean, you name it, you got every, but there are some, some essential components to it. It's indoor outdoor. It takes advantage of vistas and the outdoors, what is available to you. Um, you know, and this was brought on by, you know, uh, uh, amazing architects. But I think about certain stories like a Wallace Neff, you know, who who was, you know, out out in Southern California building these amazing, the Gillette Ranch, these amazing Spanish revivals. And then, you know, as he as he gets to the end of his career, he creates the bubble house. And I believe that's the mm -hmm. house that he that he died in. And yeah. at the and what what I find so fascinating about that is if you think about it, I can't think of anything at its at its barest essence, at its core, than is more Californian in style than turning a swimming pool upside down and finding a way to live in it. <laughs> and that's kind of what it was. Mm -hmm. I think the, the ability to experiment is one thing. I think what we're talking about now, and I, I agree with you, it's kind of, it's, it's, it's a little sad, is to, is to take architecture down to a formulaic base and to sort of winnow out all of the artistry and take all of the creativity and don't use the tools that you have, just trying to figure out how can I maximize the square footage and how can I maximize the price per foot. And that's one of the main reasons why we're having this conversation and why I love talking to designers and architects. I think of you as futurists. Um, you know, Phyllis, as an interior designer, you're working on a time frame 
on a timeline rather that is, you know, 10, 15, 20 years. Bill, your timeline as an architect, you're working on 75, 100, 125 years. It's different, but it's kind of the same. Because if you, if you can look at a timeline and project into the future how people want to live and how to, how to make better our dwellings, betterment of life has to follow. Well, I, you're correct, but I'm, I'm in a phase in my life that, um, you know, I, I have, I've been doing this long enough and I've seen, a, in Miami Beach especially, I've seen a lot of value of great design um, come down. And, um, you know, I think the world has really, uh, is speeding up, has speeded up. And, um, you know, I think people's wants and desires and lifestyle is, is changing at an extremely rapid pace. And I don't know, I'm seeing, I'm seeing, you know, the way, the way we live, you know, homes, may be constructed in the future to last 25 years, only 25 years. And then you're on to, you know, you're on to the, the next thing, the next greatest thing. You know, uh, uh, the, the, one of the biggest issues here in Miami, the, the reasons many of these great older homes have come down is, <laughs> you know, I laugh about it because you, you hear it so much on, on TV, the open concept. The open concept plan. It's it's absolutely it's absolutely everywhere. And then also, what's changed is you know the just the ceiling heights. You know there was an there was an age. Uh, you know uh, uh, earlier times. You know you just didn't build high ceilings because you had to you had to heat them, and there was a cost associated with that. And and today uh, you know lighting and that sort of thing. You know, when, you know, I, I think about the house I grew up in and the number of light fixtures in it was, was extremely few. And today houses are, houses have systems and, you know, all sorts of lighting and backup lighting and generators and the lights have lights and, you know, they never shut off and they, they rotate on their own during the day and turn on here and turn off there. And it's, you know, it really is a very different, uh, a very different world that, that I grew up in. All that's just changing so fast. Like that's going to be a complete, all that will be totally different 10 years from now. So this is so. why we, 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 we are able, we have a totally different perspective and we're both right all the time. <laughs> but I see, I, he's talking about what's, what changes and I tend to focus on the part of humanity that stays the same. And I think that because my clients always tell me like, well, I don't know if I have the same taste as this or as your last client or this. And to me, it's not, I hope you don't. I hope everybody is different and is expressing something that I'm helping you actualize something that in design that you couldn't do on your own, that I'm able to sort of bring all the components together and make this a comfortable place for you. But you do very personal, one, very personal. one off, one off. But, what I notice in all of my career is that people, their, their, um, their definition of comfort is it, the desire for it is still the same. And I think that that, what the definition of comfort might be, you know, very different from their different times. 
Yes, we wanted an open plan until the pandemic came and then nobody could do a Zoom call in this open plan. And so now they have to have an isolated soundproof, but they want to be able to see out of it, um, to be connected to the house, but have some have some ability to have a Zoom room where they could, they could um, control the sound. So I think that as, as people change and as, as, the, uh, as technology changes, and people's, but they want to feel comfortable in every room. And I think that the idea of, let's say in Florida, the blurring the lines of the interior and exterior, these are things that are always going to be what people are here for. And I think the element of Florida light is like nothing anywhere in the world. And so I think that the use of color will always be different here. The experience of, of uh, color on an interior with our element of light, what makes Florida houses great are things that just don't work anywhere else. You can take a Mediterranean house and you can put it in California and it works. And you can put it in Dallas and it works, but you can't take a true Florida Keys box and put it in those two places and have it work. That's what we own. We own the colors that you can't use in Chicago. Um, they just don't look right there because you don't have our sun. So to me, I think when I think about what we can maximize about Florida design is taking that things that we have that are very special and, um, and incorporating those in the future in our work. You know, I think that's it, but there's a, an element of human nature that I don't think changes when it comes to wanting to be comfortable in their spaces. And, and I just want to speak of one second on comfort. Comfort's always, always been an issue. Although when you look at, uh, you know, you look at uh, furniture from, you know, the Pilgrim's time and that sort of thing in English furniture, oh my God, it, you know, looked, uh, looked so uncomfortable. But the height of comfort was really during the reign of uh, Louis XV. I mean, the Louis XV, nothing's more comfortable uh, to this day than uh, a Louis XV uh, armchair. With a Berger. A, yeah, Berger with a, with an ottoman but to me what's really driving comfort today except, might not except the not come the mr chair yeah, yeah the mr chair is is a close second but what's really driving comfort i'm not sure that it's really comfort the technology is driving all of that now what people want and want in their homes and want to surround themselves with it's it's all about the you know the latest and and the the greatest and you know, uh, it's not a, it's it's not in uh, a thing in the home, but I've been struck by this really during the pandemic because I'm home. I was home during the day quite a bit, and you know, we live on. You were we're, the we're, night we're too. fortunate. <laughs> yeah. Where else are you gonna go? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, life used to be simple, and I would go out in my kayak or on my paddleboard and. You know, now that's been electrified and I sit in the backyard and see it's people speed by in three seconds at 30 miles an hour, hovering above the hovering above the water on their boards. And that's just, you know, that's just. Uh, it's so here's what's interesting to me. And it's funny you say that because uh, for a while um, I lived in South Florida. I lived in Fort Lauderdale for a year. Uh, we rented a home in. Um, uh, uh, Las, Las Olas. Yes. 
and um, we had a dock in the backyard and I had a kayak and it was great. I would just push it in and I'd, I'd row out and, you know, you're rowing next to these 20 story floating hotels, but it, it was, it was amazing. So I know exactly what you're talking about. And as you're talking, I'm, I'm reminded this week, I was editing a conversation from a while back and a Zaha Hadid quote came up and in that she was talking about pleasure in relation in relation to architecture and that's i feel like that's kind of where this conversation's going but that's one of the things that you know i got to be honest with you and tell you that in in 8 years of having these conversations the word pleasure in context of style design and architecture does not come up and mm-hmm. i find it it kind of it, it kind of made me sit back for a minute and made me think about that idea that you know, you talk about a Louis fifteenth Louis fifteenth chair being the most comfortable you can sit in. Well, why is that? You know, why have we produced so much remarkable style and design? Why do we build such amazing homes uh, and dwellings without without focusing on the pleasure? And I'm so I'm curious. You know, your ideas as it relates to that, and maybe how the projects that you're working on. You know, what are the core elements? What is the essence? behind the the work that you do and that you have done for 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 decades in design and i i'm looking at some of these projects and i and i, I want to go into a few of them because they're so different but i want to talk about that idea for a second of, of pleasure in architecture because i think no more have we ever learned uh how dysfunctional one's home can be than over the last 16 months <laughs> especially when your smart home is smarter than you or your smart home stops thinking because everything's based on an internet connection that everybody is now hogging up because there's 4,000 computers in the house. I don't know. I think the pleasure thing is is very much at play now. And I'm surprised the word doesn't come up more, but in, in architecture and in Miami, you know, you know, an, inst- an instant gratification really is a big thing in design and architecture here now also. Like we, you know, we feel no one really wants to wait you know, the, the years that it takes to custom, you know, plan a custom home and see it realized and, and permit it. But I see examples of the pleasure all the time, you know, with swimming pools, you know, swimming pools on roofs and swimming pools with glass ends and floating across, you know, here in Florida, that's just, that's, you know, that's absolutely pure pleasure. And gardens. Yeah, gardens. yeah of course. So I, I think that's, I think it's very much at, at play, but maybe that, Maybe that word hasn't really been, you know, employed as as much as it should. We should try and focus on that more ourselves. <laughs> I wanted to look at some of the projects that you've worked on, and I'm on the website, and and I I always say this because this is a podcast, so we're we're having a conversation, which does not always always lend well to visuals. So if you go to the show notes. And there will be a link for you to go to the Taylor and Taylor website so you can follow along on some of the projects with us. And I'm, I'm picking and choosing some because of, you know, for one reason or another, but I wanted to start with the Sunset Key Escape because that one, when we talk about pleasure and, and I saw that first image, that just makes me happy. I Do you know which one I'm talking about? Uh, that's Lamando. I think that's a, there's a staircase, uh... It, it's, I'm going to say one word, yellow. You were breaking up. We couldn't see it. So. Sorry. One word, yellow. 
Um, uh, actually, it's green. It's lime green, but it, it photographs. That's yellow. lime green. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it could be yellow. But it will. So I'm looking at the hallway, and then I'm looking at the stairs, and it just the color palette just makes me happy. And then, but also, it's very different because it doesn't stay that vibrant. It cools down. You have a you have a master bath where, or one of the baths that just it, you cool it down in blues and greens. And I think that you know, is that not the quintessential color palette of the keys? Yeah. Well, it came from citrus. So I and and crotons and things that are very Florida. So I think uh, these people are from Connecticut. And they're um, nautical in that they, they're, they're boat people. And how do you separate the, the northern um, coastal environment, you know, the Northeast to a Keys? And I think that color was really one of the ways that um, you're able to communicate that you're in Florida. And so there's the lemons, the limes, and, um, you know, a, a tiny dot of orange here and there. I think that's uh, that's that's really why I chose that. It's really it's there's a whole backstory to that house too. That was a remodel, a remodel job, but it was a, a a builder's special. But when you went inside, it was dark and there were arch like arches, heavy Spanish arches inside this house that sits on it's a private. This is a private island off of Key West. Like you have to take a ferry to get here. What could be on a private beach? What could be really more, more tropical rose. than that? And, and we were very fortunate. Our, our clients allowed us to do just what needed so desperately to be done. The, st the original staircase was a, a back and forth stair with not a single window. In it. An inside stair. An inside stair. So that circular stair did not exist. We cored that out of the center of the house and put that Palladian window in it and filled, absolutely filled the interior of that house with light. And we did that in several other rooms that there were just missed opportunities to do what is the obvious, you know, the obvious thing. I mean, it wasn't much of a, you know, much of a, a, a struggle. We didn't have to work too hard to come, to come up with the ideas there because it was just a well, wait a clear as day. You didn't work too hard. Done. I worked pretty hard. No, you did. You <laughs> did an amazing job. And the kitchen, the kitchen that Phyllis did in that house with that refrigerator that looks like a Chippendale cabinet. Because the kitchen was basically in the hallway now. And you can do that in a vacation home. You know, I think that that's vacation homes and Florida homes um, where people don't think of being as practical as they would in their, in their main home up north. So we are given a little bit of latitude for people to sort of relax and not be rigid about the rules of how their house might lay out or, or function. And, and again, this is all about the comfort, you know, I, that it's casual, it's comfortable. You're not, you're not trying to impress anybody here. This is your sanctuary, you know, of fun. So speaking of sanctuaries of fun, um, is it Ibis, the Ibis house? Ibis house. Ibis? Mm -hmm. Okay. So between, between the color and, 
you know, really taking the, the landscape outside, it's hard to get everything from imagery, right? But between the trees outside and every, the way that you brought it in it and incorporated the artwork and the color in this project, I, I think is, is, you know, down, down to the fabric in the banquette. I, tell me about this house. Well, this house actually was for the president of the University of Miami and uh, Donna Shalala at the time. And mm -hmm. she was very insistent upon this being a lead project. So, um, and lead was rather new. I mean, all that environmental design and things had to be made out of so much recycled material. And, and I think the, the, uh, the design dilemma there for me was how do, how do I do the, an interior that doesn't look like granola? You know, that, that is all made out of recycled things, but doesn't look that healthy and just looks classic. And if you were coming to a president's home and being entertained in her home, there had to be a scholarliness about the house, still a Florida comfort. And I noticed that many presidents don't actually live in the president's house on, on their campuses. They have other places. They only use it as a ceremonial house. And um, Donna Shalewa said, this house needs to be used by a family who might be a president. Um, and that I want to build a house for the president that they really could live in. And I think that that was, and it happened to be a lead project. So that was really the challenge of, of it. And I think, um, you know, the backsplash in the kitchen was made out of recycled Coke cans, um, aluminum. The, uh, the wallpaper was all uh, done. I had some that were made out of the funny papers um, from, you know, from the, from the, from newspapers. Uh, there was a, an artist who made the chandeliers in the dining room, and he also made those out of recycled aluminum cans. So there was, there were, but we didn't want it to look that way. The floor is made out of Florida's beach sand and shells. It's a cement floor um, that we made so that it was, didn't have to come from Italy and didn't have to come from um, even as far away as the, the clay factories um, out west. So I think we, we pretty much nailed a, a look. And again, it was the use of color. I think we find in, in Miami, people are really afraid of color. My clients are afraid of it. Um, I, I try to explain if you just keep the envelope kind of neutral and you definitely can repaint something, we wallpaper something, we upholster something, but don't be afraid because that adds to the element of joy um, that you can experience in your home. It, it's so fascinating because the projects, the next project I wanted to ask you about was the Weston home. And for some reason, I keep picking out all of the most colorful projects that you have. I know why, because I love them, but I, I'm fascinated to hear that because, you know, the the history of Miami, the history of South Florida, I, I, I'm kind of surprised that you get requests for such a neutral color palette on a regular basis. Is that, what, what, what's that from? Because it's a, it's a colorful environment. I think it's from, well, I, I, I was interviewed by the Wall Street Journal uh, a while ago about like, what is luxury? Uh, what is a luxury item? And I really believe that color is a luxury item because when you indulge yourself in a red kitchen that you know has zero resale value, 
Um, that's the ultimate luxury is not worrying about things like that and not thinking about the next. You know, I try to tell my clients, I can only deal with one client at a time. How can I please the next client who's going to live here? I need to focus on you now. And, um, and, and that's really, I, I think, what drives a lot of people to the neutrality. They have an insecurity that they're going to uh, whimsically change their mind about color and that what the color they love today, they won't, won't be in or they won't appreciate tomorrow. And I say, it's okay. It's okay to be, to, to feel as though you need to change in color. Okay. Color is just so subjective to, you know, people would be, oh, what if someone comes in and doesn't like this color? Like many people might not, I like it, but maybe other people, I want them to like my house. And it's not so, the color, it's, it's it, if you do it well, you can do it with any color. There's not a color, like I don't have a favorite color. And this is really, I mean, people try to trick me into a favorite color all the time or commit to one. I have combinations of, of colors that I might favor over other combinations. But just mentioning a color, like when you said yellow, it makes me happy because whatever, whatever, uh, things start to be energized in my brain. It makes me smile because I love them all so much. And I think <laughs> it's the love of color and um, my passion for it that I, I think it's contagious with my clients and it gives them confidence to, to know that I'm going to do it in a way that um, they are going to be uh, relaxed and comfortable within it. So what is, what is the future of, Florida design. And I asked the question very purposefully and very specifically. What, it, what is that? Because there are things that you have to take into account now that we all do. Um, you know, you talk about working on the keys. We didn't get into this, but I, I already know and, and can say with some certainty, you don't have a Home Depot on every corner. Getting material is an issue, especially if it has to be ferried in. Um, but getting material now is, is an issue no matter where you live. With living in Florida, your supply chain will free up sooner than most others, many others. Um, people are changing the way that they view design. They are relenting a bit to trying new ideas because they realize that, you know, forget resale value. I want to be happy now. So that being said, you know, what is changing? What has changed? What is about to change in South Florida design and architecture that will affect the way that you work? Um, I'm not sure I have an answer to that, but I want to just say, and Phyllis can probably uh, 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 take it from there. You know, we're going through another, like a really crazy boom right now in South Florida. You know, it's uh, whatever, whatever started to happen back in the Miami Vice days, that's happened now since the, since the pandemic but completely on acid um, and people are moving here. You know, the past 20 years, people have been moving here from Russia and Europe and all over. But, you know, now their young people are, are flocking here, uh, extremely wealthy young people in, in, in droves. You know, they're escaping New York and they're escaping San Francisco. They're escaping Los Angeles. And, you know, that's a, a I never in my, in my wildest imagination could have fathomed that that, uh, that uh, was, was going to happen in, you know, in my lifetime. But that's what's really, that is what's really happening. And so 
the, and again, I keep coming back to the technology thing. I, you know, I'm a little bit of a dinosaur. I, I'm, I'm not on top of how technology is, is changing, but what, however it is, like that's, that's, what, <clears throat> that's what my son who's uh, in the firm and will lead the, the firm in, in coming years, that's what he's got to dig into and really understand because that is going to, uh, I don't know where it's going to lead us, but that's what's leading us now. Well, also I think it's climate change. Um, is very important in the way things, there are certain criteria that we have to consider in our buildings and our homes that we never had to before or we didn't consider before. Um, you know, just having something on the water and thinking that it might only last 25 years only makes you wanna have it more before it disappears. Or just like I wanted to have to tell my grandchildren I had the first electric car ever made. Um, so I went out and got the first Tesla there are people who want to say, I lived in the last waterfront home um, in, in Florida. I think, you know, we're all about experience. There's only going to be more waterfront. Quite or more. But Just in a different location. It's going to be moving inland. I think that, um, you know, uh, younger people are into experience more than they are into things. And I think from our parents' generation, it was, it was to acquire things. And, um, and now I don't think that that's as important. But when we had the pandemic and people couldn't have these experiences of travel and that type of thing, their home became so important to them that where it was situated and what you see out the window and when you go for a walk outside, all of that became paramount in deciding where your home should be location began to take on, I think, a new perspective. Um, from the interior design point, I think where we're in the future is where people became very, very conscious of food and healthy food. I think the next generation, especially since being in our homes and spending, you know, 82% of our time in our homes, except in you out in California, those people spend 68% of their time in, in uh, indoors where in other places where we have like Florida, it's a little bit more. We go from indoor spaces to indoor spaces. So I think from an interior design standpoint, people are wanting to have knowledge about the materials that are in their home and that they're healthy. So I think this is kind of spread from um, exercise and food and now it's into home interiors. And I have noticed that people are asking what their mattresses are made out of and what the fabrics are made out of and, and the, the carpets the and the, the paints and low VOCs. And I think that um, that's going to be the next focus of um, interior design. Uh, you're going to have to really sort of up your game and making sure that the air quality in the home is good and that things we come in contact um, are healthy. I t listen, I totally agree. And, and with that, I think that, um, again, back to the futurist idea, it's, it's because there are people like Phyllis and Bill Taylor out there doing what they do and, and have been, you've been doing it at a high level for such a long time. And with that, I am so grateful that you made the time to talk with me today. Thank you so much. Well, oh, thank right. you. It's been fun talking to you. Yeah. Thank you, Phyllis and Bill. Florida style. Love it. 
Thank you, Thermosol, Article, York Wall Coverings, and Franz Wigner for your partnership. You are remarkable partners and amazing allies for the trade. And thank you for listening. Remember why you do what you do and that the business of design is about making better the lives of those we serve. Until next week, be well and take today first. Mm-hmm.